Legends with Bevo presents the Bevo and Biggie Show. Yes, welcome to another show. And Biggie, we've got another Jones on tonight. That's right. He is the founder of Gentech Nutrition, one of the best bodybuilders of all time, the one and only Nick Jones. Great to have you on the show, mate. Uh, Bevo, it's great to be here. Thank you for the invite. I'm very humbled. Very grateful. <laughs> mate, Thank you. It's absolutely awesome to have you on here, Nick. Like, um, we were chatting, me and Bevo, we were just having a little bit of a chat. We're like, we've had strong men, we've had, you know, We've had ninjas and, you know, we've oh, had all this that and the others. And I thought, well, why don't we bring the best of all of it together? Bring a strong man and ninja. And we just thought, well, Nick Jones the man. <laughs> and I was talking about me and Nick go, me and Nick go way back, Bevo. That's true. Nick, um, Nick was one of my first sponsors many, many moons ago. So, um, like I said, Nick seen me from the annoying little... 17, 16 year old to the now annoying 30 year old. <laughs> <laughs> you would have been younger, Biggie. I reckon you would have been about 14 when we met. I reckon you would have been about 14. Yeah, and you know, my attitude just hasn't changed a bit. I'm still just a smart ass. I'm just bigger great. than I was. That was all. It's great. It's great. A little bit bigger. You're a little bigger. You're a big kid, buddy. Yeah, yeah that <laughs> is true. Kid. That is very hence, true. Hence the nickname, right? Tell us how you got that nickname. Do people know? And so, Bevo, what was the question you were going to ask Nico to start off this whole situation? <laughs> no, I think, I think that's actually a really good question. A lot of people would love to know how you got nicknamed Biggie. Thanks, Bevo. Back him yeah. out. How'd you get to be honest? These typical it wasn't, it wasn't behind the It wasn't behind the toilets at the school block or something, was it? Can I say <laughs> that on here? You Joneses that's always crazy, stick man. together. I'm going to find another Biggie, and so it's going to be me and Biggie picking on Bevo when he's by himself. Come on, fess up. How'd you get the name? Stop I got the nickname because I was bigger than everyone in high school. I was a, I was a large kid in school. I was, as a year seven student, I was a smidgen under six foot tall and about 90-odd kilos. In, Whoa, in, in grade seven? In grade mm. seven? Mm. Six wow. foot tall and, and 90 kilo. Yeah, a bit under six foot and about 90 kilos. And then um, I sort of through high school, that was obviously when I met you, Nico. But I, you got to remember when I when I went into high school, I took up wrestling. So I actually lost I lost a lot of that puppy fat through wrestling through school, and then took up strongman and put it back on again. And um, you know that's when I sort of stayed around 100 to 115 mark all the way through school. Wow! Yeah, that's, that's, that's a big. Un, that's unreal. Yeah. But let's that is a you really are the uh, BFG, though, the big friendly giant. You wouldn't hurt a soul, but I think no, mate, not at all. Like I said, look, look at the guys I've got around me, just well-natured, lovely people like Nick, who's, again, like I said, I've known for many, many years. So, um, you know, when you've, got a good, when, you, when you've got a good group around you and a lovely group of people around you that are, that are, are mentally, you know, solid, physically solid, it's going to make you as a person much more solid, you know. So uh, you surround yourself with good people because, you know, that makes you a better person too. Amen, brother. <laughs> Hey, we better get to our special guest. So, Nick Jones, I mentioned at the start, he is the founder of Gentech Nutrition, which we'll get to in a moment. But, um, mate, how are you going over there in Sydney? How are you dealing with the COVID situation with, you know, with your training and has it affected your business a lot? 
Yeah, Bevo, good, good question. In the lockdown, yes, it annihilated sales in the lockdown. So March, I think, was the beginning of the lockdown. We still did okay sales-wise in March. But the scary thing, though, was a lot of stores ordered up, you know, because everybody was panic buying and, and, and the online thing. So it happened a little bit um, with the supplements. There was a bit of panic buying. But the scary thing for me as a business owner was there was a lot of stores that hadn't ordered for many years that popped up out of the blue and ordered all of this stock. And I was a bit worried, you know, because they were on account. thought, are these guys going to pay for this stock? So that was a worry. So March sales are okay, uh, but getting the money in was the next challenge. Uh, April, we were down about 70% on April last year. So it was a massive hit. Um, and, and it was, you know, it was an interesting time. Looking back, it was an interesting time. I probably really had one day of a lot of anxiety. Um, and you had to have some because, you know, anxiety really comes from a, um, a not knowing, not knowing of the future, what the future holds and, and not feeling like you have any control of what the future holds. So there was, there was one day of a fair bit of anxiety um, because on a personal level, I just bought a new home pre-COVID in February, which is the one I'm sitting in now. We haven't moved in yet. I've just been here with the plumbers tonight, to be honest. So I bought a new home pre-COVID and when we put our, our current home on the market, four days before the first open house, we went into lockdown. So for me, there was sort of a double whammy. There was the business um, anxiety and the financial need. And then there was the, the property side of things with, um, with, you know, and not knowing what to do. So it was, it was one day of really quite a lot of, it was one day really a fair bit of anxiety and then a couple of days of working through it. And, and I really came down to the, 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 um, the comfort in knowing that everyone was in the same situation, number one. Number two, I was locked down with my three children and my wife, Angie. And, you know, to be honest, there's no one else I'd really like to be locked down with. Um, oh. as, as challenging as it was, mate, the kids are bumping, you know, they're bouncing off the walls getting cabin fever and <laughs> Angela's trying to homeschool them. I'm trying to work and keep some sort of business going. So it was, it was really challenging, but um, I was taking the kids out every day for PE. So we did running and some days we just did scooter and the bike and, and um, some days we played soccer. So, you know, I was always good at sport and eating my lunch. That's what I, that were my two subjects at school, right? That's what I was good at. So, so I got involved uh, with homeschooling with those two things. And then I, the home office, um, I was completely pushed out of that. So I was trying to work on my laptop from my eldest daughter's bedroom uh, whilst, whilst we're in lockdown. So it was, um, it, it affected business. April was really way down. May bounced back a little bit, but we were still about 50% down on May the previous year. And then um, as soon as the gyms reopened, Bevo, it was like nothing ever happened. You know, it was June, we beat June last year. July, we beat July last year. August, we just beat August of last year. So we've really turned around and come back. But um, the roll-on effect has been one of financial strain because, uh, you know, we sell all of our product to, to our retailers on credit. So because it's gone down the line, that the payments have come in a lot slower. So for me to pay my creditors have been harder. Other issues, I guess, have been supply chain issues. We had a lot of issues with packaging, getting packaging in. Even my sleeve labels, um, they get printed in Singapore. And I thought, well, that's okay. And even the packaging, we import the packaging. And I thought, that's okay because I've got a Melbourne manufacturer. But of course, the Melbourne manufacturer get their chemicals out of Asia to make the jars. So even they couldn't keep up. So there was really, there was a, there was a whole host of issues that came from it. But ultimately, 
um, you know, as long as I was, again, not freaking out, being present, staying on the front foot, making the necessary changes I could, that I could control, there was a whole host of benefits that came from it, you know, along with spending a lot of time with the kids. We, I mean, which other fathers in history have been able to stay at home with their children week after week after week, you know? It's just, it's, it was unprecedented for so many things. And you, again, I think, you know, the bodybuilding lifestyle really helped me to stay positive to a majority. And I was getting up and training with my... Um, with my barbell and dumbbells at home and really quite enjoying enjoying it, to be honest, because it was like when I was 15 again, started training at home with a barbell and a set of dumbbells. So there was a lot of passion that came out for my training and I was getting up at 5am and doing it so that I got in that good headspace for the day because it was very, very easy to go down that rabbit hole um, with your thought processes. So for me, once again, in any challenging time, bodybuilding saved me and the bodybuilding lifestyle saved me. It kept me positive and, um, and it kept me on the front foot, really, and making changes that I, that I could make. So, you know, that's a very long answer to your question, I know, but there was a lot no, that was challenging wonderful. about it. There was a lot that came, came out of it that was good because it was so challenging. And we've still got a few challenges now, but, but all in all, because the gyms are open, um, you know, and I think it, people at times like this, they're talking about recessions. In times of recession, people go one of two ways. They, 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 they go good or they go bad ultimately. But that really comes down to not so much financially, but those that started drinking. So you know that the, the Dan Murphys have been killing it. Their sales have gone through the roof and all the, the liquor outlets. A lot of people started drinking. Worst thing you could possibly do. You know, now the gyms have reopened. A lot of the gyms are finding and the whole health and fitness industry, always in a recession, those industries do very, very well because people invest in themselves. When they, are, when they are so sick of feeling the way they do, possibly they are drinking or they're not, they're not training at home because they're not motivated. Normally, they'd go to the gym three or four days a week. They'd do some yoga classes. They might do some group training, some F45 because those gyms were shut and the people that didn't, didn't train at home, they, mm. it was, it's time now to invest in themselves. So ultimately, mm. I think we're very well placed in the health and fitness industry. And, you know, Biggie was just saying how busy he is with his, with his coaching. And it just doesn't surprise me because it's time for people to invest in themselves. People aren't blowing 10, 20, 30, 40K, taking their family to Europe. No one's spending, you know, people aren't spending money as much on dining out. So people have the money and, you know, they have the time now to invest in themselves. And it's a really important time to do that. So... Uh, what was a very, very hard, challenging time. We got some great benefits from it and, and yeah. we're coming to the other side with a, with a newfound appreciation and, and, a, and, a, some, and some new Absolutely. growth. Absolutely, Nico. You, you, yeah. you hit the nail on the head, man. It's amazing when times of tough striving, it's amazing what the human race will do, especially people who are driven, who are motivated, who understand that, okay, this is a bad situation, but how can I turn this from a bad situation into a positive situation sure. for myself. This sure. is one of the real things that, you know, people talk about it. They go, you know what, it, it was, and again, this is not a, a, a good thing to say, but it, it's almost a good thing that they had a war. It's a good thing that these things happen because it really gives you that check on mm. your life and what you appreciate. And don't get me wrong, this isn't me saying we need World War Three, but what this is saying is that it's every now and then that 
moments like this really put you into a check of your own mm -hmm. mindset, the world around you, and you start thinking about the things that are really important in your life. Exactly. You know, with everything with everything going on, man. I, you know, the way that the media talks, the way that it talks, you know, the most important thing to me right now is my mum, my dad, and anyone in my life who's older and more susceptible. You know, they mm. are the most important things in my life right now because they're the things that you take for granted. Yeah. But you you were talking before, Nico, about feeling like 15 years old again in the gym, yeah. doing all the, all the stuff like that. Now, for those who don't know, and Bevo's already said it, you are the, the founder, the owner, the king, the, to, you know, the top dog of Gen Tech Nutrition. Right. Tell us how you found it. Give us, give us the rundown, a little bit of Gen Tech Nutrition that maybe lots of people don't know, how it started, what you oh. did to start it, you know? Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, well, I started in 99. Gentech actually started. I registered the business name August 99, so it's been 21 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and, and it's, it's a long story, but I'll try and wrap it in a nutshell. I worked for uh, an Australian amino acid company for nearly seven years before that. I don't mind saying Masashi. I, and, and I worked for the original owner, the founder of the company, very, very intelligent man. And that's where I learned a lot about supplementation and a lot about amino acids because they had the 22 singular amino acids that I had access to. So I learned a lot about supplementation there. I was competing uh, at a national and international level at that stage. I think 99 was my third crack at the Mr. Universe, the NABBA Universe. Um, and it was my first overall national win, first overall. Um, so I think... Um, I was, uh, what happened? I, I was, I finished up with Masashi and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll get ready for the Mr. Universe. So it was about 10 weeks out of the universe. And I thought, I'm going to be a full-time bodybuilder, get ready for this. And, and the, the, in 97, I came fourth. That was my first Mr. Universe. In 98, I came third. And then, so 99, I'd made so many improvements, I was looking to win it. I thought, I'm going to prepare for these last 10 weeks as a full-time bodybuilder, get in the best shape of my life and go win the universe. And then after, uh, after not working for about two weeks, I got calls from some of the Australian companies offering me a job. And being that I was dieting, I thought, you know what? It's good to have some structure, some, you know, rather than just sitting around waiting for your next meal, waiting for your next workout, waiting for your next cardio session. It's always good to work. So I thought, you know what? I do need to do some work getting ready for the show to keep my mind off food and sitting around waiting and, and um, whilst I was dieting strictly. So... Um, but I thought I don't want to work for anyone, so I started distributing some some products in Adelaide. So I started distributing two American brands just in South Australia, and then I distributed Aussie Bodies. I distributed um, Body Ripped at the time. So I started as a little distribution business. So I, I'd saved ten thousand dollars, which I thought I'll just blow that preparing for the universe and go and do the universe and travel and. And so forth, as I always did. And but I thought, no, no, I'll invest that in ten thousand dollars worth of stock. I turned around and sold that. And again, I had no car because I was a rep for Masashi. I had to give the car back. So a good mate of mine was moving back to Canada from Adelaide, and he said, "Jonesy, have my car." It was a little Toyota Corolla Seeker. He said, "Have my car, and and when you when you've got enough money to buy your own, uh, just sell it and wire me the money." I said, "All right." So I would get in the car every day. I, filled up my garage full of stock. I'd get in my car every day and visit the top 10 retailers in Adelaide and I'd sell stock to them. Um, you know, while I'd take the order, I'd go back, write out the handwritten invoice, 
pack the order the next morning and deliver it back to the store and then go see a few more. So, so that's how it started. In, and then in 2000, again, I was using supplements to get ready for the shows. And that universe, mind you, was a crazy year. I was in the shape of my life still and I got fourth. But it was just such a, it was such an incredibly, um, you know who won it that year? Stumpy Reigns won it that year. Stumpy oh, Reigns yeah. won it. He won yeah. it at, at right. about 100, 109 kilo, I reckon he was, at five foot five. Yeah, shredded. at about this time. Five foot five, yeah, five foot five he was. Um, yeah, and it was, it was two years after that I saw him in the World's Strongest Man in the final, 2001. That's right, yeah. So made the top 10 in the final, Stumpy. Yeah. Yeah, unreal. Little battery, little battery ram. So, um, so I started GenTech. I, I wanted to, because I was an avid bodybuilder still and competing internationally, I wanted to know, I trusted the Masashi products. I trusted the owner, trusted the quality. Everything else, I, I, I didn't know um, how good the quality was. So I wanted to use the best quality products for my bodybuilding endeavours, so I started GenTech. So my first two products, creatine and glutamine, were in... Um, in uh, May of 2000, just before I did the NABBA Worlds, um, which I went and won, which was very difficult. Starting a company from scratch and competing at interna uh, international level, was it took its toll after about two or three years. But, um, but that's how I started. And, and, and really, as I could afford to develop new products, that's what I did. I sold my Ducati to do the first macro wave. That's how I did my first protein. I sold the Ducati that I used to wheel out of the garage every day to pack the orders. So was getting in the way anyway and I needed to do a protein to add to my line so I, I sold that and that that was you know that was the I just sort of went all in I guess without any expectation other than a mission Love to it. build the best products I could you know that was that was the mission just build the best products I could to get the best results and nothing much has changed to this day to be honest really that's still the best product on the market matey and yeah. the best made product on the market and yeah I still, yeah, make, I still try and make the best that I can make. I may be limited in some capacities, but certainly I'll make the best product that I can make. I'll develop and, and uh, I still do it that way to this day. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so mm -hmm. good. Mate, well done on everything you've, uh, you've achieved so far in terms of uh, from a gen tech perspective. But I'd like to Thanks, speak to you about um, something that a lot of people have dealt with over the years, Nick, and that's chronic fatigue syndrome. Now, we all oh, know, wow. you know Alistair Lynch... Uh, former Brisbane three-time premiership star, of course, you know, openly dealt with it, a lot of other sports stars as well, and well, not just sports stars, people, a lot of people in, in society. Um, the yes. amazing story about you, though, is that you battled chronic fatigue syndrome and then went on to win this, this universe. Mate, how the heck did you do that? And, you know, talk to us through, you know, what you went through to, to come up with just such an amazing achievement. Ah, oh, thanks, Bevo. Wow, I haven't talked about this for a long time. It's kind of an old story, you know, and it's, it's one that you, 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 you leave behind after a while because you don't want it to enter your, your, um, your thought processes and be a crutch of any sort. However, you know, really happy to share it. The, ultimately, the chronic fatigue, I had it twice. First time I had it, I was only 21. And back then, the GPs that I visited said it's a relapse of glandular fever. So I had glandular fever on Epstein-Barr virus at 14. Um, so then I had this relapse on my first bout of chronic fatigue at 21. Uh, then again, at 31, uh, after my last Mr. Universe in 2002, um, that's when I had the, the hard, that was the hard one. That was the one that I thought... My bodybuilding career is over, so it was an amazing. It was an amazing achievement 
to turn around. I, I didn't win the universe mm -hmm. after that. I came back and won the um, the overall Muscle Mania World Muscle Champion. Muscle Mania, yeah. And Muscle Mania back then was definitely the pinnacle of natural bodybuilding. It was the, mm -hmm. the toughest title to win. So I went, went and won that. That was an interesting story in itself. I won't go through the whole thing. That's a journey. But but to win that, just to win back my health was the, the real win. But to win the overall Natural World Championships in uh, Universal Studios in LA on my own with my food bag and my suitcase, was that, I usually went with the whole team, you know, and I was on my own. Um, totally psyched myself out and ended up winning the overall. But, but um, the chronic fatigue, ultimately, mine very much was a relapse, a glandular fever. But that last time, what I learned, I learned everything and I, I was helped to overcome it from Dr. Frank Marcelino. Who's, who's Adelaide-based. So Dr. Frank is a chiropractor. He's a doctor of chiropractic, doctor of osteopathy, naturopath, kinesiologist, acupuncturist. He's been documented for visceral procedures, which was termed non-incisive surgery, and they stopped doing it back in the 20s because they basically can't make money if they don't cut people open and pull things out. So they used to manipulate the organs um, externally. So Dr. Frank was like an angel for me, and something that he taught me very clearly over a certain period of time was um, there are three types of stress that cause disease. So this applies to anyone. And the chronic, the chronic fatigue, yes, it's a relapse of glandular fever. Yes, you get the depression with it, which is, which is when it's depression, and this happens with a lot of high-achieving people and sports stars, is the, the depression along with the, the chronic fatigue post-career, post-career highlights. So that there's, a, there's a whole rabbit there's a rabbit hole to go into with that. But ultimately, this ties in. There are three types of stress that cause disease. There's simple physical stress. So you can cause disease if you fall off a ladder. That'll cause disease. The physical stress for me was I used to train extremely hard, you know, to the point where I'd be starting to get run down and get a flu and I would, um, I would take extra caffeine and extra stimulants to go in and train even harder just to prove that my mind was stronger than my body, you know, and it was, it was almost sadistic. I'll show you, I'll show you body. I can do it. I'll make you do it. So <laughs> there was a physical stress. Um, that was one type of stress. Then there's mental and emotional stress and chemical stress, mental and emotional stress for me at that time was uh, to be brutally honest, starting the company and having that and the financial stress um, on top of competing in at an international level. That was a massive mental stress, and emotional stress. I was in a relationship that I felt stuck in and couldn't see a future in. So that was a massive emotional stress for me as well um, that, that I didn't know what to do about. So, you know, the mental and emotional stress is massive that causes disease. And then there's chemical stress. So I'm not talking about drugs, alcohol, steroids. I'm talking about um, food, too much food, the wrong sort of food, not enough food, not enough water. Um, polluted air. So you have chemical stress. Yeah, right. You have chemical stress in a, in a, in a lot of different factors. So um, physical stress, mental and emotional stress, and chemical stress. Now I had all three of those because I was overeating, I was force feeding for the for bodybuilding in the off season. Then I was strictly dieting. I was probably over supplementing, force feeding supplements. Um, I did use the anabolics back then, but I don't think that was a massive factor to be honest. Drugs and alcohol weren't a big factor. It was just a lot of force feeding and then strict dieting. And I was doing that year after year for many years, competing nationally and internationally. So, so those three types of stresses, I had all three stresses at a maximum. You cannot do that for 
a prolonged period of time, you're going to hit the wall. So that's precisely what I did. I hit the wall and overcoming the chronic fatigue, I had Dr. Frank's help. But again, I had to look at those three areas and correct those three areas. Now that took time. Um, certainly the mental and emotional stress took time. And of course, all of us have demons from our upbringing to fight. You know, all of us have had experiences in our life that, that we have stored and held on to the emotional pain that we suffered. And, and, you know, to work through that takes a great strength, takes a great um, level of uh, self-awareness and mindfulness. And then it takes some help as well on how to deal with that, that emotional stuff that you've potentially stored. And I think a lot of people just medicate. A lot of people medicate with drugs, alcohol, food, sex, gambling. They just medicate and drive those feelings down. For me, you can only drive that stuff down for a certain period of time. It's got to come out. It's like an orange when you squeeze it. S stress and pressure is, is like squeezing you and what's inside comes out. So, you know, people that, that drink and get aggressive, it's they've got a lot of anger inside and... and you know, that has been developed probably through experiences that they've gone through in their life and not had the tools and skills to deal with. Because those experiences might have been, you know, at six years of age, eight, ten years of age, might have been at birth. We store everything. So, um, you know, that there was a lot of mental and emotional work to do for me, uh, which, which I used a bunch of different techniques. But still to this day, I'll use meditation and mindfulness um, and, and awareness as much as possible. Um, so there, again, again, it's like we're talking about with COVID, these challenging times in your life are, are great opportunities um, to, to learn and to grow. But, you know, sometimes you need support to do that, um, you know, and, and you certainly need to be uh, mindful and you need to be introspective and have, have that opportunity and have the courage to do it. And sometimes a lot of people say it's courageous, but sometimes even for me, I don't think it was courage. I think, I think when the pain becomes so much, and, and the, the, uh, the damage becomes so much that it's too painful to keep going the way you are. You have to make a change. When, you know, it's because we're driven by pain and pleasure, uh, human beings. So we're, we're driven by uh, pain avoidance. We want to avoid pain and we want to gain pleasure. So when, when that emotional pain gets too much, when that's more pain than facing it, hey, that's when it's time to face it. So chronic fatigue, knocking it, not getting out of bed, having the depression, being faced with, with the inter internal demons I was faced with at that point in time, I had no choice <clears throat> to face them. And not even, it's not even fight them. It's not, it's not even the correct term to fight your demons. It's, um, it's to face them. It's to accept them and to know to know that they're a part of being whole. We have, we have darkness, we have darkness in us, and we have light. So you can't say, I'm, I'm just a pure being of light, you know, it's not the case. That's not complete. To be whole is to have darkness in you, to have light. Um, you, you need to have both, to, to be positive and negative. If someone's positive all the time, it becomes sickening. It, you know, if people's negative all the time, that certainly becomes sickening, and they probably become sick. But to be complete, it's, it's so there's, an acceptance and a, and a gentleness that has to be a big part of the approach to overcoming depression, overcoming chronic fatigue. So the mental side is one thing, and that's probably the hardest part um, or the most challenging part, and it's time. It takes time. It takes time. It takes time. And to be honest, I think it's, I think it's an ongoing thing for the rest of certainly my life and, and all of our lives here. You know, we, uh, we're not perfect. If we were, we wouldn't be here. 
Um, and we, 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 you know, right, we get all big. I've never, I've never said you're perfect, but put you next to someone who is, and it's hard to tell the difference. Let me tell you, you're pretty special. You're pretty special. I thought I better throw a bit of humor. Get out of here. I'm going deep. I'm going deep. Get out of here, boy. What are you on about? <laughs> but, but, you're 100% right, Nick. In what you're talking about, you know, it's almost understanding the darkness and understanding the light, understanding yeah. both of them are in us because we're human. Yes. We're not perfect. None of us yeah. ever will be. Right. You know, like you're saying, you know, people might think I am, but I'm not. And people look at you and go, geez, he looks perfect. And he pretty much is perfect, Nick. But, you know, <laughs> you. That's the good stuff, Biggie. Right. It's just one of those things where I think it, as we grow older and, and and understand these things more and more. And, you know, I guess training for you has been your life and it's taught you a whole lot of lessons inside, outside. But your training as a bodybuilder, you did chat about for a little bit there, how you, you, you kicked off, you worked your ass off, you got you trained so hard, you almost made yourself sick. Yeah. But I, I'm actually going to ask a question of your training now. Because I know you're doing the martial arts. I know you've been a very physical guy with martial arts your whole life. I know you've been a very physical guy in the gym. Mm. Um, but you're obviously a very spiritual guy. For those who have watched this or listened to this, mm. will kind of see a side of Nick Jones that maybe a lot of people don't see very often. Mm. Um, the spiritual side, the um, I guess the softer side of, of Nick mm. Jones. Because I've seen you train. You're an animal in the gym. You're an absolute beast. Like. I remember the old your well and well gym phase when I was training there and some days I'd walk in there and you'd be just you know, and this was Nick Jones, not, you know, early two thousands Nick Jones. No, yes, different time too. Yeah, which I, I've heard plenty of stories. So, um could you fill us in a bit a, a little bit of the bodybuilding stuff from the old days? But also the the, the Nick Jones of now, uh, doing the martial arts stuff, doing the the yoga stuff, the, the the spiritual stuff, because I think it's good for people. It's almost like the dark and the light, the mm. bodybuilding, heavy lifting, darkness side of things, the Dorian Yates almost style Nick Jones to the to the new, the new Nick Jones. <laughs> <laughs> reinvention, reinvention. I always had both, you know. I always had both. I, I sort of I, I embarked on a on a spiritual journey consciously back in my late teens to be honest yep. so you know and i started meditating but again i learned meditation from a bodybuilding magazine it was an article by frank zane back when i just turned 18 and i was uh, i was working in the oil field what's that how long ago was that <laughs> 18 i was 18 so i was working in the oil field it must have been when mm, caesar wore short trousers yeah that's <laughs> oh, right Jesus played centre half back for Jerusalem. About them, <laughs> about them, about them. That was a long time ago. So, so that's when I embarked on it. And because Frank Zane impressed me so much, because you know, Mister Olympia three years in a row in the late seventies. Again, he was an extreme physical specimen, mm. but he had a degree in experimental psychology. So he was a very intellectual man, and he was a Zen Buddhist master. So he was a very spiritual man as well. And that really impressed upon me, to be honest. So. Um, to, to see that balance in someone that looked the way he did, I thought, wow, that, that impressed upon me. But I read an article on meditation from Zane when I was working two weeks on, two weeks off in the oil field. And at that point in time, we were, there were floods in, in, um, in the middle of Australia. The, the, I think the, 
the rains from Queensland had come down. So we were flooded. So we had to be choppered out to our uh, to our well site. We were doing all the well testing and working on the, the oil wells. It was just me and one other Canadian guy who's a really, really good guy. Um, and that's where I read the article. And because we were so isolated, it's so quiet out there. It's so good for your head. And there's, there's nothing. It's the desert. But there's, there's a piece to it that you just don't experience in the city. Um, and I think... The combination of reading that article on meditation, meditating, being in the middle of the desert, that woke something up in me. And I've got to be honest, the first time I meditated, I never saw the world exactly the same again. Sounds like a cliche, but um, I've got to say that it was true. So that set me off on, on, a, on a spiritual journey and, and, and a development and an understanding where I'd read books on metaphysics and quantum physics. I would do, you know, um, astral traveling and I do, do all this crazy stuff. People think I'm, I'm weird if I went into everything I did, but I, I always had that along with then diving head on and training heavy duty to the point where I would play mind games to get in such a psyched up zone where I would visualize myself in a red box squatting and all I could see was red. And, and you know, and Biggie, you would have done this before where you you psych yourself up that much that you truly believe if you don't get up out of the bottom of this squat, you will die. <laughs> lift or, and, and it's an old it's an old bodybuilding saying, now it's a cliche, lift or die. But that was truly my mindset in the middle of a set. I was that deep in 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 the in that moment and the belief that if you go down, if you don't get up, you die. You'll die. Mm. You have to lift this if you want to live. So I'd play all these mind games and I'd use that strength of mind to my benefit. But again, I trained so hard I broke my body. Um, and, uh, and recovering out of that was, was made me, uh, you know, not use anabolics and go to the Natural Federation with Muscle Mania. Um, and I still trained hard. As a natural athlete, I still trained as hard as I could possibly train, as hard as I could possibly train. But I learned to not do the extreme amount of force reps, negatives. I would still do drop sets because that worked really well. But I used to do a lot of forced reps when I was training heavy during the eight style. Um, a lot of forced reps for using it with a training partner. I used to do negatives. So I think you can do that sort of training for very short bursts. Mm -hmm. And then you'll have to, what they say, deload now um, or cycle your training. So the longer my... Um, my career got with bodybuilding, the more I started to cycle my training. So, you know, and it would really just be varying the rep ranges. And even now, my training now reflects that. If I'm feeling like I don't have a lot of other stress in my life, um, I'll train very heavy and, and work on my strength for maybe a four-week period. doesn't happen often because I'm always really, really busy. So most of the time, to be honest, I'll train as hard as I can now in the gym. I'll train as hard as I possibly can but my rest periods are really quite short. Mm -hmm. And I do that so I'm, I, I'm able to, because I love to train hard still. I still do have that, that aggression in me. I've got some aggression. Oh, right? I've got it and I've got to exercise. I've got to get that out. I've got to tap into that. It's part of being whole. I'm not this peaceful being that is pure light. I'm not there yet. I'm not Buddha. I'm not Jesus. I'm not as good as them. Um, I'm not as good as them. You know, I kind of look like Buddha, but, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but to embrace their teachings fully, um, you know, you're not of this world. 
Um, so, you know, I, I'm okay with that. So I still train as hard as I could possibly train, but just with shorter rest periods. So the loads aren't as heavy. I don't have a training partner, so I'm not doing any force reps. I do some drop sets now and then, but I just train as hard as I possibly can in the gym. And, and because I'm not lifting massive weights anymore, because my rest periods aren't that long, um, I don't have massive size, but I don't want to be that big anymore because, like you say, Biggie, I do really enjoy my martial arts. I'm doing a bit of boxing now as well. So I've got awesome. a boxing apprentice. So, yeah, I box once a week. Arika, what can't this guy do? <laughs> Seriously, no, I'm, I'm not a great boxer. I'm not saying I'm good. I'm not good. That's why I'm getting some lessons because I'm not good. So mate, give, this, give, this guy, give this guy a title fight, mate. Where's Where's Mike Tyson when he needs a uh, <laughs> Hey, where is Tim Tim Zoo oh, one the other night? Maybe you can take on Tim Zoo. <laughs> seconds, dude. I reckon I saw him running down at my local beach a few months back. To be honest, yeah, sure right. positive. Yeah, good. He had a hoodie on, had a Team Zoo thing on, but it looked like his dad. I, I just remembered his dad. I hadn't seen him oh, fight. Yeah, spinning image of him. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. His face. Because he had the hoodie on, all I could see was his face. And I'm like, that's got to be Costa Zoo's son. I didn't, yeah. So I've only just started watching his fights now. But I saw him, it was probably, it was probably during COVID, to be honest. It was probably during COVID when I was out with the kids. Yeah, mate. He is yeah, awesome. Hey, he's Jonesy, awesome, I just want to ask you before, um, before Biggie gets to another question, mate. Um, hmm. Obviously, you know, you've had some amazing achievements over the years. And, you know, we could go on and on and on about all of those. But I want to sort of... Out of all your achievements, I know this is hard for you to answer, maybe maybe a top three, but what's been your, I guess, your favourite achievements and why? My favourite achievements in bodybuilding or in... Yeah, in bodybuilding, yeah. In bodybuilding. Um, my favourite, probably, the ones that stand out to me were my first overall national win. It was Mr. Australasia. It was, that was I wanted to win and I... It was a goal that came to fruition because I wanted to win an overall Australia by the age of 30. It was a goal I'd set. And uh, it was one that I'd set and sort of forgotten about. It was, it was, um, it was one of those things that there was, it was, it was a decision I'd made. I think I was living on the Gold Coast in 95. And it was a decision I'd made. I knew I could win an overall Mr. Australia, an overall national title. And I wanted to do that by the age of 30. And it was a decision, not so much a goal that I worked at and worked at and was mindful of that. But it was a clear decision that I reflected on when I won that overall in 99. And, and it was a tough lineup. Uh, I won that overall and it gave me a trip to the Nabi universe for, nine, for the 99 universe. So that was one. The other, there was got three. Number two would be winning that overall muscle mania, over, overcoming the chronic fatigue and winning the overall muscle mania in Los Angeles, Universal Studios, uh, you know, I'd psyched myself out of it at the pre-judging. I felt like, because I'm looking around and all the guys at the weigh-in have these thick forearms and traps and they look juiced up, these guys, right? And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? I, I was the smallest I've been because coming from NABBA, I was weighing 12 kilos lighter with muscle mania four years later after the chronic fatigue. So the NABBA Universe 2002 was my last show where I was 90 kilo on stage. Four years later, post-chronic fatigue, naturally, I'm 78 kilos on stage. And so 12 kilos different. I'd psych myself out. These guys look jacked up. And, um, but to then turn around and win the middleweights and overall the next night at the finals was surreal. And I was walking through Universal Studios at about 1 a.m. on my own with the big overall trophy, the class win trophy on my own. 
it was a, a light drizzle coming down and I had tears running down my face. I wasn't crying, right? They just don't, don't, don't tell anyone now. It was just these tears. And it was just this release of, uh, it was an amazement, overcoming chronic fatigue, um, reinventing myself as a world-class natural bodybuilder and, and winning the overall was, that was number two. Number three, recently, I would say recently, um, I, did, I, did, I made a comeback last year at 47 years of age. So 10 years, the last show I won 10 years ago was the IFBB Mr. Australasia. They don't have an overall. I won the under 80s. So I did a string of pro league shows and, and was really disappointed with my result at the Arnold Classic. Came back to Sydney and thought, oh, that's done. It was a good comeback. I looked great. I won a couple of state titles. And, and then my wife, is she's, she's really strong, my wife. You know, she's stubborn, Greek. She goes, nope. You're not finishing here. You're going to do another show after I got third at the Arnold, which was a real disappointment for us. Um, and then the IFBB Australasian was coming up two weeks later. And that was the closest show. And I thought, wow, to be honest, it's been 10 years since I, the last show that I did was the IFBB Australasia and the Omara Classic, which was a pro-am over in Perth. So 10 years prior, I was under 80s at both of them. I won both of them. So 10 years down the track, I thought, wow, could I go back at 47, not do a Masters, but go back and win an open class, win my titles back that I'd won 10 years ago, back where I'd left off 10 years ago. Because for 10 years, I'd been building business, starting a family in Sydney, and I'd done five years of martial arts, Arakan. So I thought, wow, I wonder if I could do it. So sure enough, um, I did the IFBB Australasian and... Uh, and then the Amara Classic, I won both of them and got offered a pro card. The best part, all my children came on stage when I won that Australasian. Yeah, man. And I felt like the richest man in Babylon. I'd won this title <laughs> and I had my wife and my three children on stage. Crowd are cheering because they all love the whole family thing. You know, kids are on stage and, and the kids are proud as punch, you know. So that was, that was uh, the three highlights, actually. First time I've been asked that, but that would be it. Off the cuff. That's fucking well done, awesome, well mate. That's so good. To, to be honest, the Muscle Mania one almost brought a tear to my eye, man. That it's a it's a great feeling to to do something that you've worked your ass off for so many years, and you know you shared that moment with yourself, which is you know when you're on a bodybuilding stage, yeah, okay, all the the years of training with training partners and family and friends, but when you're on stage, it's it's you. You're yeah. you're the one doing it, man. And yep. You know, you got to celebrate that one with yourself and then the last one you got to celebrate with your beautiful wife and, and fantastic kids. It's, it's really, yeah. really cool to see both ends of the, of the spectrum right there, man. Really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, but look, Josie, I'm, we'll take it to the end of this uh, this thing because me and Bebo, we could probably talk to you all bloody night, mate. You know, you and me have done podcasts together, Nico, and we've spoke for hours and hours on end. So We can talk to you off a donkey, it's fair to say, Biggie. What was that? We can talk the ear off a donkey, is fair oh, to say. mate, where's the donkey? I know, I know. Um, <laughs> have you got any advice for any up-and-coming bodybuilders? Do you, do you have just maybe a, a word of advice or, or a cue or a tip that you would give to someone that's starting bodybuilding? Mm. What would it be? Um because it's changed so much these days, mate, with the, with the invention of social media. And, so, mm. and I'm so lucky that we did really push the boundaries and train to those extremes and not worry about 
who was filming and what we were going to post on, you know, my workout on later or was I wearing my sponsor's T-shirt and cap and headphones. We didn't worry about all that. We just got into the brutality of the, the training, which is what we loved about it. Um, those days are gone, so I wouldn't be giving um, that sort of advice to a young guy to, to get rid of their social media and train to that level. But, yeah, unfortunately for them, they'll never... I don't think they'll get the true joy from the training. They won't have that opportunity. There's just too much distraction these days. But outside mm. of that, what I would say is, first and foremost, don't be in a rush. Don't be in a rush. Fall in love with the process. Like anything, whether I'm talking about business, your job, your relationship, but certainly your bodybuilding, don't be in a rush. Um, and you, you must absolutely fall in love with the process don't use it as a means to an end anything you look at as a means to an end is destined to fail and destined to bring a whole host of disappointment going through the steps there's no shortcuts don't be in a rush going through the steps there's so much value in going through every step there are no shortcuts and and to be honest the real juice the real benefit to the whole thing um, is is going through the hard times, overcoming the injuries, overcoming the setbacks, going through all of it, going through all the steps, all of them, and falling in love with those, and, and falling in love with the process. Just don't be in don't be in a rush. Don't don't you're not going to go from zero to hero in the bodybuilding realm, you know, which so many people want to, and I and I feel sorry for the younger crew because they probably feel an extra pressure from their peers because they're so accessible on social media and, and, and they put their life and career on there. And everyone, for some reason, the young guys want to be ballers. They want to be rich. They want to be famous. They want to be jacked all by the age of 21. And it's like, guys, it doesn't happen. I'm nearly 50. I've still got a mortgage. I'm still, I'm, I still have financial pressures. I still am learning in the gym. I'm still learning a whole, I'm, 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 I'm crap at boxing. I'm really crap at martial arts compared to a, a master that's been doing it 30, 40, 50 years. So it's, again, the, the martial arts teaches me what the bodybuilding did, and that is go through the steps. It's, it's good. It's good to be shit at something. It's, it's good. It's really good for you to not, you know, be at, at, at 100, to be at the top level within a year or two. It's just it doesn't work that way. So yeah. take your time, fall in love with the process, and, and embrace going through all the steps. That's where the juice is. Mate, give this guy a check for a million dollars, mate. Give him a run at Mike Tyson. Give him a run at the Gypsy, mate. This guy, you know, give him a title shot. Look, Jonesy, thank you so much for all your words of wisdom. Bevo, I've known him since I was a teenager. He was my first sponsor, my first gold-level sponsor. He's looked after me ever since then. I won my first SA Strongest Man. He was the first guy to give me the chance and support me. And he supported me ever since through injuries, through being a knob, through, you know, being good, being bad. Like before I was a pro, Nick was supporting me and giving me all his love and, and his family too. And, you know, he, he knows basically every member of my family as well. And, you know, I, I just, I could not say enough about Nick, about how much of a support he's been for me uh, as an athlete as a person, as spiritually and understanding the world and the way things work. Nico, thank you so much for coming on the show. 
thank you for everything you do for me and everything you have done and trust me for everything you probably will do for me in the future and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure we could talk for hours BMO we might have to do a Nick Jones 2.0 one day I'm up for it (laughs) yeah I'm up for it too Thanks, Biggie. Thanks, Bevo. All the best, guys. Much love. Big love. You too. Take care, mate. Take care. See you, boys. Love you. Bye. See you, Josie.